0: Chapter Four of Balloons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ryan Fry, North Texas. Balloons by Elizabeth Babesco. Chapter Four. Do you remember? To Leslie Hartley. There are so many delightful things about being a bride besides actual happiness. Little peaks of pleasure that gradually sink into the level of existence, unimportant, all-important things, that never come again. To begin with, there is your wedding ring, which keeps glistening up at you, unexpectedly making such an absurd difference, not only to the look of your hand, but to everything else as well. And there are your trunks, shiny and untraveled, with glaring new initials almost shouting at you, so very unlike other people's battered luggage with half-obliterated labels sprawling over it and trousseau clothes are quite unlike other clothes. Not prettier, often uglier, but different. Your shoes and stockings match, not yet having begun that uneven race, which, starting from the same mole, ends with a fawn-colored shoe and a gray-blue stocking. Your hats go with your dresses and your sunshades with both. You have an appropriate garment for all occasions, instead of always being, as you once were and soon will become again, short of something. Altogether, There is no other word for it. You are equipped. And then you feel exhilarated and responsible. Your jewels are still new, and so is the strange, beautifully embroidered monogram on your handkerchiefs and underclothes. Also, for the first time in your life, you have a jet evening dress with a train, and your maid calls you Madam. Lucy was extremely pleased about all of these things. She was pleased, too, to have married a foreigner, to be sailing away into a new milieu where she would be surrounded by the strange, exciting faces of her husband's friends. It would be delightful to have nothing to do but make yourself liked, to be automatically disentangled from all of your own complicated, complicating relationships, with nothing around you but a new world to conquer. And how thrilled and curious everyone must be about her. What sort of a woman had succeeded in catching dear old Tony? Tony, who was so delightfully, so essentially a man's man. There had been Vivian, of course, but no one quite knew the rights and the wrongs of that, and it was over anyway. Tony was so deuced unsusceptible, Lucy prided herself on being able to think in English. Unsophisticated, too, about women, but with a sense of self-preservation like an animals. And now he had gone and married an American and a Bostonian. Americans, one knew, were heiresses, and Bostonians were blue stockings. The lady, it appeared, was not very rich, but, of course, Tony would never have married for money. It was all very puzzling and then lucy imagined herself walking into a room full of strange curious faces and someone murmured that is tony's wife and everyone looked up she wore a shimmering silvery blue dress and she was looking her very very best an old lady told her that she ought still to be in school and a young man told her that she was a jolly lucky woman and tony a jolly lucky man by jove Lucy was sure that that was the way Englishmen talked. And on their way home, people agreed that they could understand any man's falling in love with her. Tony talked a lot about his men friends. Women meant nothing to him. He had, Lucy knew, once been engaged to a woman, Vivian she had been called. Rumor had woven a pattern of legends about it, but he had never seemed anxious to discuss it. People said he had behaved badly, but how was one to tell? Those things were always so complicated. Usually... Everyone ended by behaving badly. At any rate, the girl had made a brilliant marriage, which might or might not mean a broken heart. It was, Lucy thought tenderly, so characteristic of Tony to have sown such legitimate wild oats, an engagement contracted and broken off in gusty fits of honor. "'You look very lovely,' he smiled at her. She was shimmering in silvery blue, her eyes like cloudy star sapphires, her hair like primroses and ashes." In the motor, she leant against him, a discreet, gentle pressure. She always gave you a feeling of delicately intertwined reticencies and avowals, a faint New England flavoring which she had never lost. "'I do hope they'll like me,' she murmured. Dinner was a great success. Lucy loved her neighbors, and her neighbors loved her, while secretly congratulating themselves on having always been right about Boston, which they had never visited and of which they knew nothing. After dinner, a few guests trickled in for the tiny dance that was to follow. It was all very much as Lucy had imagined it, old ladies delighted by her youth and old men delighted by her prettiness, everyone saying that she was very un-American, by which they meant unlike the Americans they had known. Then suddenly, a hushed silence grabbed hold of all the various conversations. Tony got up. His hostess was saying, I want to present Mrs. Everill. Someone in the corner gave a little suppressed laugh. Lucy looked. She saw a thin, dark woman with charming, irregular features, and a figure which looked as if it had been put into her black velvet dress with a shoehorn. And she heard her say in a low voice, which somehow seemed to creep inside shut parts of you, Tony and I are very old friends. They were coming straight to her, and then, next thing she knew, was that voice again saying, Mrs. Everell, you must forgive me if I say that, for the moment, you are to me just Tony's wife. But of course I know that to be that. You must be a great many other things besides. Lucy knew that everyone was looking at them. Not at her, Lucy, the bride. And she had been so proud and happy, childishly happy, to be a bride. Not at Tony, not even at Lady Dynavore, but at them, at the situation. It seemed to Lucy so indecent, so vulgar. You will love Lucy, Vivian, Tony said quietly. And Lucy looked up at the charming, gracious apparition so dominant, with her beautifully friendly manner. Her eyes looked as if she could never find the bottom, as if tears were just going to well up and drown them. Of course I shall, she said, and there was a little edge in her voice, as if it were going to break. That was the feeling she gave you, Lucy thought, of being on the brink of something, a tenseness like the moment when the conductor's baton is raised before you have been released by the music. How ill you look, Tony was saying. Vivian laughed. You always said that, do you remember? Conversation was buzzing again. Lucy turned to her neighbor. Through what he was saying, she could hear Tony, your white velvet dress, do you remember? She got up to dance. The room seemed to swirl round her while she stood quite still. Of course, we know all about Boston, Mrs. Everell. her partner was saying. It produces beans and cabots and blue stockings and brides, he added, smiling. Tony and Vivian were still sitting on their sofa. As she passed, she heard Vivian laugh. Do you remember? The evening seemed to Lucy interminable. Tony was very good. He did his duty very nobly, dancing with everyone, even his wife. At half-past one, they went home. How charming Lady Dynavore is, Lucy murmured. Charming? Tony looked puzzled. Vivian? It obviously seemed to him an almost grotesquely irrelevant, and inadequate word, and then feeling that something was expected of him. She is a wonderful woman, loyal, faithful, a real friend. She is very pretty, Lucy said. Pretty is she? I hadn't noticed it. Again, he seemed puzzled, as if it were really too difficult to connect up these absurd adjectives with Vivian. Then an idea occurred to him. You're not jealous, sweetheart, are you? No, no she lied. Vivian is, well, Vivian, he explained, making matters worse, and Lucy knew that if she had said beautiful, fascinating, majestic, if she had used all the superlatives in the world, they would have seemed to him equally irrelevant and inadequate. But Tony was very much in love with his wife, and she knew it, and soon, in his tender, whimsical, loving, teasing way, he had made her perfectly happy again. She was standing in front of her dressing table. Her cinder hair, shadows, shot with sunlight, falling like a waterfall over her shoulders. With one hand, she was combing it. With the other, she fingered a bundle of snapshots taken on their honeymoon. Lovely snapshots, full of sunshine and queer characteristic positions and expressions. They might, she thought, have been taken by a loving detective. Tony came in. Do you remember? she said, and then suddenly... With a wave of misery, she realized it. The phrase did not belong to her. End of chapter 4